Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. A master of his craft, but still somehow overlooked by many, this mysterious man is revered by filmmakers around the world. Who is he? Today we investigate the unusual auteur Yasujiro Ozu and his three films, Late Spring, Tokyo Story, and The Flavor of Green Tea Over Rice. I'm Elliot Herman, your host, and this is Trevor Newland, my co-host, and we are the Film Detectives. So a little breakdown of all three films. Late Spring is about this girl, Noriko, who is perfectly happy living alone with her widow father and has no plans to marry until a persistent aunt, Masa, convinces her father that if she does not remarry, she'll be alone forever. So Noriko resists, and her father is forced to deceive his daughter, sacrificing his own happiness in the process. And for Flavor of Green Tea Over Rice, it's set in the 1950s. Married life has become routine for a middle-aged Japanese couple, Mukichi and Taiko. The wife thinks of her husband as dull, and the husband spends most of his time at the races or at the office. Their young niece, Setsuko, sees this dynamic and tries to escape the same fate, refusing to accept an arranged marriage set up by her parents. Much like Tokyo itself, the family takes slow steps to moving into the modern age. And for Tokyo Story, it's about an elderly couple visiting their grown children in Tokyo. Their children don't have time to spend with them, and thus it falls to their daughter-in-law, Noriko, to keep them company during their stay. The thing with Tokyo Story, like, actually, between the three films, like, he has a very distinct style of shooting very static shots, either, like, placing the camera on the ground and, yeah. and framing it like almost like a theater play i was gonna say that yeah he loves those like low shots and it, it makes you feel like when you're watching and also i noticed when he cuts all of his cuts are very just there's nothing going on when he cuts it's just music and normally like a still frame there's nothing you know a lot of cuts either you know you dissolve or, or cut those type of things but his his transitions are just very so montage. everything is just so very, yeah, very chill, very relaxed, very, it fits like how he does his films in general, I feel like. Yeah, I, I mean, he at the time was like pretty ahead of his time because no one had really shot the way he did. The directors at the time were pretty much him and Kurosawa, uh, yeah. Akira Kurosawa. <laughs> so like Kurosawa was all about the epic story and and he just was like lots your blockbuster yeah he was like, like your big, blockbuster guy yeah exactly very hollywood and ozu was very un-hollywood he was kind of more of an indie director in japan and he really wanted to portray the change of japan going into the modern world coming out of world war ii these three films both like all were shot within a few years after the war had ended in japan and around the world so japan was recovering from you know being attacked and going through the war so i think that really resonates especially in tokyo's story because of how he portrays family relations relationships Mm -hmm. between Mm -hmm. one another and also how he shows and portrays Tokyo itself coming into that modern world. Yeah. In Tokyo's story, like once the characters actually decide to go out and see the world and stuff and Just we're not the, locked yeah, into the home. Mm-hmm. the home, which he always does this even in like late spring and also flavor of green tea over rice, he 
first sets you up in the home describes the character's relationship between each other, what's the drama between them, and also what's what's the conflict. And then somehow they end up exploring outside of that world, you know, which is their home and and yeah. taking in more of Tokyo and learning to come to grips with what they have to deal with within their own families. It's like a masterful way of doing it because it really makes you care about those characters just because you're basically living with them. And then I, I noticed something when he does go out into the world, especially in Flavor of Green Tea Over Rice, it seems like everything that they experience is a very big spectacle. If, if I don't know if you kind of felt that too, when they go to the race and everything. Yeah, like when they're trying to get Panchico and, and also, you know, like the younger crowd is more more at home being outside rather than the older generation is more we just want to stay home and yeah exactly and, and do <laughs> please nothing. keep us away from all of this stuff let us be introverts <laughs> <laughs> and be boring and it's like no they have to learn to come to grips with like your family is changing you need to change yourselves too yeah that's really prevalent in Tokyo's story, you know, between the grandparents who come to see their kids and then they're and also they're grandkids busy and-, and they're all busy with their own lives and don't have time for their grandparents. It's a very touching thing because Ozu's point was to always treat the elderly with respect and make time for them. That was the point of that film. I think it's beautifully like created too, because you can still apply that to today as well. I feel like even more today than than then, you know, they were coming out of the war and that film was him telling his story about that. And here today, especially in our time period we're in right now, with technology being so prevalent and everything, we really don't stop and kind of you know, pay attention to everybody. But we're, we're always, I feel like we're always on that work, 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 work. We never like really take time to stop and really process, you know, life a lot of the time. And appreciate what we have, you know? Exactly. And I think and- Ozu was really about that, or that's what he was trying to say with Tokyo Story, because, you know, For he, sure. show, he basically portrays the elderly as an inconvenience to the younger generation, you know? Mm-hmm. There's that generational divide in the culture Here's a director that started to portray more of what life was like in Japan because these films actually weren't seen by Western audiences until like maybe 20 years later, uh, mm. especially Tokyo Story. They said like it didn't get shown in, in the States until like the 1970s and it came out yeah. in 1953. So mm-hmm. America didn't really know what japan's life was like i think ozu yeah. was just it was like his tribute to his culture and his country also i was reading up on it and i saw that he had flavor of green tea over rice pretty much you know written and everything but because of the war and everything he had to put it on the back burner because they were going to try to censor a lot of it right and with flavor of green tea over rice it was really interesting because he's really saying something about marriage and at the time mm-hmm. in the 50s no one talked about, you know, troubles in a marriage. You know, they were very like, at least over here in the States, it was very like rigid, you know, 1950s culture. Like we don't really talk yeah, about it. It you wasn't, know. it wasn't TMZ like here. Right. Like where we just talk about <laughs> sex, drugs, and alcohol all the time. Pretty, pretty much. So, you know, <laughs> and I think with Flavor of Green to Over Rice, you have an example of a film that really portrays a marriage going through some kind of struggle and because you have the wife who's 
very like uppity, you know, kind of very rigid, mm-hmm. doesn't want to really oh, talk. Yeah. And then her husband's just, I'm just kind of going with the flow, but I just want to be alone. He literally says, I want to be yeah. isolated, you know? Uh-huh. And then they have, it's contrasted with their niece who they're kind of watching over. And it's kind of like almost like a surrogate daughter that they never had because they're childless. You know, this mm-hmm. couple mm-hmm. has had at least we think they've had some kind of trouble having kids and until the wife actually really realizes, oh, maybe I need to talk to my husband and break down that wall. It's a film about breaking that wall down. And also you have to talk through a marriage, you know, you have to talk through a relationship, you know, it's like, that's not all sunshines and rainbows. Exactly. This is bringing back to Tokyo story, but I feel like it kind of ties everything together. At the end of the film, there's the shot with the train and my mind got kind of got started and realizing what the whole film was about. I was kind of like, you know, the train kind of symbolizes life and kind of like we were talking about, you know, we never stop to truly appreciate it. And I feel like that train at the very end, it's a symbol that she's living life and the train is also expressing that, you know, hey, it's like a train. The track just keeps going. You know, it eventually will end because everybody dies, but we need to really stop and kind of appreciate what we're going through. And it's interesting. I, I noticed the way he shoots the train angle, it kind of references the train from like the Lumiere brothers, you know, like the train coming oh, in to the station. I didn't even think, and, I didn't even think of and that. And it was like, I'm just like going like, wow, he's just referencing this. But I just thought that was a nice little homage to them. I don't know if he did that intentionally, but it might be like his way of saying, this is where I've come from. And then, where I'm going now. Wow. Yeah. I did not even think of that. That's, that's super cool. Hey, you know, still, still from other artists, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, all directors do it. Uh, Oh yeah. You know, (laughs) now as far as like with late spring, it again deals with a woman going through not marrying, you know, she wants to just be with her father and look Mm. after her father and she rejects marriage itself, which in the culture at the time, a lot of people would either get married by their family, you know, be have an arranged marriage or mm-hmm. a woman was expected to have a family and and get married and yes. well, have a family. So what she did was a big no-no. <laughs> yeah, which for this film Late Spring it deals with a, a daughter Noriko who basically would rather watch after her father and not marry. But after all the pressure from the family around her kind of amounts to her marrying a guy who she's not really that much in love with. She just kind of, you know, is friends with him and, you know, doesn't hate him. And Mm -hmm. she just kind of goes, oh, you look like the next best thing. So like they end up getting married and her father, you know, is, is pushing for it as well because he wants her to be happy and not watch over him which is kind of like that ties into real life in general i mean you know you grow up in a home you eventually move out of the home and i would assume you know most parents hope is that you know find that person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with and then you have kids and so on and so forth (laughs) right ozu basically is saying the old needs to change into the new that's kind of what he's saying with this film women shouldn't really have to be pressured. They shouldn't, they shouldn't be pressured into if they want to be single and, you know, live yes. their life, then there's nothing wrong with that, basically. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. modern approach to things and, and it's kind of philosophizing 
it with his films, you know? Yeah, for sure. We kind of touched upon a little bit about the shooting style of Ozu. Mm. One of the biggest things that took me off guard when I first started watching Tokyo Story, and I know you can attest to this too, is all of a sudden you go for coverage on an actor and the actor's just staring right down the barrel of the lens. Right. Just just looking right at you, looking into your soul. That was unexpected. I also found it interesting, you know, there's just a lot of very simple shots, which I think that symbolizes, you know, the, the film itself was, you know, a very, in regards, a very simple film. But the mm-hmm. issues in the film itself are not simple. They're very complex. So I feel like the way he used the camera, you know, just, just setting up these low shots or just, you know, setting it on something to, you know, just basically create a frame mm-hmm. and then letting everything live inside that frame he lets allowed, it breathe exactly allowed the viewer to really connect with what was going on on screen as opposed to you know like oh this is a cool shot you know you have your directors today and even back then you know that were famous for their different shots citizen kane is a big film where there was some incredible filmmaking done in that movie but like this film was truly about the characters and the story it's trying to tell. And the the camera was just there to help tell that story through its lens. Because I think the only real like tracking shot that Ozu really uses is in late spring when they're outside or like when they're showing parts of the city in Tokyo mm-hmm. Story. It's not until we get outside does the camera actually start to move around. I was going to say, yeah. And then he, then he does those like slow little, you know, zoom ins. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I believe at the end of uh, at the very end of uh, Flavor of Green Tea over Rice when they're arguing, that's a fantastic scene, by the way. I love yeah. that scene. It's beautiful. It's like this is marriage. This is life. You know, it's not all sun. This is dating. It's not all sunshines and rainbows. You know, you can go from you're the best for one minute to yeah. why I hate you, blah, blah, blah. but you don't really hate the person, you know, and I just, just love I just love that they all learn to just calm down over green tea over rice it's like the right most he's like no i want because I food want... just binds them together i mean food is a huge staple of you know japanese culture it cements the relationship and that the fact that she breaks down her wall to make him food is like and he's like sure i'll take some i feel like she's kind of shocked too he's like he's because she's saying all these things and he's like no just just tea over rice yeah He's Again, like, with the simplicity, rice. and I think simplicity for Ozu, less is more. It's kind of the opposite side of the spectrum with Kurosawa. Yeah. He was, you know, more is better, which, you know, they all each had their own unique styles of, of filmmaking right. and telling stories. Like you, like we were talking about, Kurosawa was the blockbuster. Ozu was more of the indie, mm-hmm. indie filmmaker. And to kind of define also the difference between them two, I feel Kurosawa was more into dreams, more spiritual and mm, Ozu mm-hmm. was more the rugged, raw, real life type of director. And yeah, which, he's telling the stories that are like in your backyard, basically. Right, like almost kind of set the staple for melodrama in a way for yeah, in Japan. Yeah, that's you know? true. Because you know, it's it's funny because like I was just watching the series on Netflix that was really it's called Midnight Diner, and it's again very simplistic. It's about a guy who literally owns a diner doesn't open until midnight and all these crazy characters kind of show up and like it kind of focuses on different aspects of their lives and then how how he kind of ties everyone together and brings them together with his food and also it's never really described if he's like an ex-yakuza 
or not because but uh-huh. he's got like a scar on his face and he's like you know kind of like a mysterious type of character but he he binds all the rest of the characters together with food but shooting style i see a lot of ozu in that series same in jim jarmish's stranger than paradise you know i was just watching that last night and it's they even say ozu's name in the film oh you know? really which is like <laughs> like the two main characters are like just they're bored and they have nothing to do so they're looking through the paper to see if they want to go see a movie and ozu's name comes out because <laughs> it's showing oh, at wow. like this and it's in new york and it's showing at like some kind of theater down the road and stuff and they're like you want to go see it they're like nah <laughs> it's really <laughs> nice little easter egg homage in there yeah so simplicity for ozu was a giant staple for him he just really allowed you to connect with each character you know you you truly felt you felt you felt like you were you know part of that family because he didn't he didn't use any bells or whistles he just was raw it was like you kind of mentioned earlier it was very raw right in the way he pre- he presented everything it was it was like you know if you just sat a camera down uh in a household you know at the end of the day and you captured what's going on that's ozu's films in a way Exactly. And it's interesting because, you know, a lot of his themes come up in other films and a lot of Western directors started to take notice of him and use some of his style in their own films. Not so much the actors looking directly at the camera, which, <laughs> again, that, that is just so unsettling. I, I just, oh, it's so strange. And the thing is, it, it's interesting because he doesn't really... he. he in, in Tokyo Story, he kind of started to shy away from it a little more. But uh-huh. in like late spring and flavor of green tea, he, you know, pretty much uses that as his close up or medium close up shot. It's still so unnerving. <laughs> yeah. Very in your face, kabuki type of style, like just very theater like. I don't, I don't know about you. I was just thinking about this, but. When I watch a film that's in a different language, mm-hmm. um, I find myself even more gripped by it. I don't know if that's the same for you. Oh, trust me. Like when, yeah, especially with these types of films, you pay more attention to what the dialogue is, I think, because mm-hmm. of the lack of what's going on on screen. He's, he's basically bringing the characters through the space and then throwing them into chaos and then bringing them back to their roots and what matters most. Yeah, I recently just watched Taxi Driver for the first time ever. And, you know, I could I could kind of see the influence there in a way, too, because, you know, you know you're just following the life of, of, you know, our main character there throughout the whole thing. You know, he's just a just a taxi driver and he, you're dealing with his thoughts. He's, you know, likes this girl and you can kind of see some of Ozu's influence. It's just in the, that film. It's just the more grittier version of Ozu, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's a good that's a good definition of Scorsese. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because like you know, I, I for a fact, you know, when when you hear Scorsese interviewed, it, he talks about all the, you know these different directors that have influenced him in his films, or he picks specific you know, directors as an influence for a certain film that he's working on. If I was to sum up Ozu from what I've, what the three films I watched, Tokyo Story, Late Spring and Flavor of Green Tea Over Rice, I would use two words, beautiful simplicity. Beautiful simplicity and blatant ways of describing his own culture and where it needed to go 
during the time that these films were made. Exactly. And leading a roadmap not only for, you know, future filmmakers, but also just for human beings in general. If you like this episode, follow us on social media at Film Detectives for further news and upcoming shows. Join us next week as we explore filmmakers from around the world. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.